program is about bringing up controversial subjects and a series of quests for strange horrors. It feels good. Guidance is internal. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity. Do not think there are things in this universe which you cannot understand and which are true. Welcome to Far Off Topic, episode 27. I'm your host, Fiasco Jones, and here's a toast to all you parents out there that have survived another shared trauma of 2020. That's right. I am clearly referencing the first week of online school. God damn it. I just need a break. So I'm gonna sit outside on my patio and just chill. It's monsoon season here in the Casino Wasteland, my favorite time to be living in the vast, mysterious Mojave. Probably the most beautiful time. This is the time when the Hyades make their somber return to the desert to perform ritual war on a battlefield of human terrain. It's a Manichaean conflagration between light and dark, fire and water, life and death. In other words, looking stormy outside. From my house, I can spy the turgid, cyclopean clouds trudging towards civilization over the tops of the McCullough Range. At first, all I can see is one or two of the behemoths lumbering up from the south. In their size and demeanor, they evince a supernatural awe. This is the awe that gods once evoked when they walked among us only so long ago. With their long, cumulus necks, the thunderheads extend up to the very shelf of the sky to seemingly peer across the land. From that far-off distance, they wield a dreadful aspect of being, as if becoming incarnations of terrifying concepts like revenge, antipathy, or hatred. Here, in my back patio, From every tree and bush, the steady trill of invisible cicadas intone their ineffable hymn. A song sung in the inscrutable language of nature. The sound seemingly coaxing the distant behemoths of rage closer to the city's precarious shelters. It's a primordial symbiosis between Earth's creatures and her violent temper, both working in consonance to battle her most reviled enemy us, humanity. We like to think that we are also one of Earth's creatures. That's just not true. We're merely nature adjacent. We are things that separated from the cusp of nature so many millennia ago that we may as well be aliens. We have set ourselves apart by creating a second nature of concrete blasphemies. We must feel that alienation deep down because when we describe a natural place as pristine, the only qualification is that no human has ever marred that land or ocean or sky with his presence or effluence. By this definition, purity is the absence or exclusion of man. We have accepted this, and somewhere in that bargain we have accepted that Earth will forever be allowed to punish us for our apostasy unleashing her wrath upon all of us at her leisure until we return to nature? Probably not. Leniency isn't natural. So, with all the care of a superior being, the arriving storms fan out, 
and bludgeon their way through the city, knocking over trees and power lines without prejudice. Roof shingles, fences, and campaign signs are hurled every which way. The surrounding arroyo is inundated with enough water to submerge a small town. The marauding giants reveling in their wanton destruction with bursts of thunderous laughter, all the while thrusting their javelins of lightning at anyone impious enough not to kneel. Then it's over. The exhausted deities skulk away farther north, where their havoc blends into the landscape, and then they disappear, satisfied for the moment. As I said, it's a beautiful time to live in the desert. Weirding of America continues apace. On August 11th, one Marjorie Taylor Greene, an avowed QAnon devotee, won the GOP primary for Georgia's 14th Congressional District. Being a deep, deep red district, this win most likely means that Greene will be heading to Congress. QAnon will be heading to Congress. The New York Times quoted her as saying, The Republican establishment was against me. The D.C. swamp is against me. And the lying fake news media hates my guts. It's a badge of honor. It's not about me winning. This is a referendum on every single one of us, on our beliefs. And here's Ms. Green talking about those beliefs. There is an Islamic invasion into our government offices right now. Okay, they are you. You saw after midterm elections, what we saw so many Muslims elected. I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but there were quite a few. What we had that woman out of Minnesota. Now she's going into Congress and she's got to wear a head covering. You know, they want to put their hand on the Koran and be sworn in. No, you have to be sworn in on the Bible. But I'm sorry, anyone that is a Muslim that believes in Sharia law does not belong in our government. But the generations of black and Hispanic men, do you want to know what holds them down? Gangs. Being in gangs and dealing drugs is what holds them down. The lack of education is what hold, holds them down. That's, that's not a, a white person thing, but gangs control them. They, they tell them, they tell the young men in their communities, don't go to school, don't you, no, don't you, don't you move out of this, out of this project, don't you move out of this community, you join this gang. If you're the kind of Republican that sees themselves as being above conspiracy thinking or that believes QAnon is silly, well, you might have to start reconsidering your position. Conspiracy belief is steadily burning through Republican culture. It's becoming the lingua franca of the right, and there's no reason to believe that the trend won't continue for many more years. It seems to be sewn into the fabric of GOP politics. From the Red Scare politics of the 50s, the John Birch Society paranoias of the 60s and 70s, on through the multiplicity of 90s era anti-Clinton hysterias and the success of the Tea Party movement in the 2000s, conspiracy has found a home within the Republican Party. Until recently, conspiracy had been relegated to the fringe. That's no longer the case. Conspiracy has become a new dynamic method for perceiving reality. To normies and smart marks who like to dabble in weirdness from time to time, conspiracy is just a funhouse mirror 
but it's revealed truth to those unvaccinated against crazy. As so often happens, when one of these unfortunates picks flowers near one of the large open rabbit holes, the urge to explore its depths becomes overwhelming. The deeper they go, they think that they can see light farther below, so they chase it. And they chase it until they're swamped by the darkness with no way out. Which is not to say no one ever digs their way back to the surface. Recovery groups of QAnon survivors have begun springing up lately telling their conversion stories. But this is a new phenomenon. Many more people are falling through the QAnon pit trap every day. This is helped in part by the hapless evangelism from the moron most often confused for a president. As of August 20th, 2020, President Donald Trump has amplified accounts promoting the QAnon conspiracy theory at least 216 times via at least 129 individual accounts, some of them more than once. And then this happened. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. But I don't know much about the movement. Uh, I have heard that it is gaining in popularity and so I don't know really anything about it other than they do supposedly like me. At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well I haven't I haven't heard that but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. And we are, actually. We're saving the world from a radical left philosophy that will destroy this country. And when this country is gone, the rest of the world would follow. The rest of the world would follow. That's the importance of this country. It may not sound like much of an endorsement, but when you hear it with Q-infected ears, this is tantamount to declaring that the QAnon mythos is real, and Trump is poised to save the world from the deep state pedivores. And there was immediate and widespread ridicule after the news of Green's victory and Trump's subsequent mental prolapse. But I still don't think people appreciate the precarious moment we're living in. Much of the ridicule amounted to jibes and holier-than-thou declarations of disgust. I understand that, but the name-calling and jokes misses the point. We are living in an era when conspiracist fantasy and suspicion is steadily becoming a major political dialectic. As I've said in a previous episode, educating yourself on the fringe has become a mainstream necessity. Why are voters electing the people that they're electing? I think it's too easy to say they're dumb or racist. It's a symptom of a bigger problem of distrust. Distrust of government, distrust of fellow Americans, and distrust of reality overall. Left unchecked, this marks a descent towards civil dissolution. We shouldn't appease the toxic beliefs of right-wing conspiracists, but that doesn't mean we should ignore their motivations either. A lack of curiosity at this moment could be the mishap that drags us all down. It's a time to start trying to figure out just what kind of bomb has been planted in our mailbox and how to disarm it. Take QAnon, for instance. Whether it's an ARG or not, it derives its strength via its commentary on how power is wielded in America. 
The crazy flourishes of QAnon is not why people fall into its trap. There's a deeper claim about class that informs the meandering bizarreness. Believers are drawn in because of how Q frames the American aristocracy against the backdrop of a growing tiered legal system that protects the wealthy oligarchy but annihilates the worth of average people. The pedivore adrenochrome fever dreams are just Hollywood storytelling and it's funhouse best, but that weirdness is also what keeps the authorities, i.e. normies, from becoming keyed in to the more revolutionary angst simmering within the movement. QAnon is a meta-community organizer. It returns magic into politics and social commentary in an otherwise disenchanted age, a political LARP or overlay fiction for people who had no interest in politics to begin with. With such an ever-evolving target, I'm sure my thesis will change over time. I enjoy learning about the inner workings of conspiracies and the people who spawn them, but I'm just a weirdo. Unfortunately, we are increasingly living in a time when the weird thoughts of a few are dictating scary actions by the guy we call Mr. President. Regardless, I think it's time for the mainstream to take notice, because the conspiracy bomb has been delivered. It's only a question, what do we do next? The timer's ticking. I'll be back after the break. state of subscription loot boxes? I believe the palliative to that terrible flaw is nigh. No! Bielsa Bundles, the first subscription loot box that is exactly what you've been craving. Each month you'll receive a crate postmarked from the Stygian depths and loaded fat with all the Infernal Realm has to offer, such as the thick mud of recanted lies and blasphemies from noteworthy residents such as Adolf Hitler, Nikolai Ceausescu, popes like all the popes, Hank Williams, Gary Coleman, and of course, Jesus! <laughs> but that's not all. You can also receive a unicorn's dismembered hoof, fingers, so many fingers! A page from Andrew Jackson's personal diary, which he's been keeping since he first arrived here in the abyss. He would just die if he knew everyone was reading it. <laughs> Rocks forged from one of the fiery cauldrons of hell. Throw them at your adversaries and watch as the festivities of war erupt all around you. Bielsa Bundles has exactly what your soul craves and your sinful heart desires. Order now! To begin your subscription with Biel's Bundles, all you need to do is renounce your affiliation to any competing deity and swear an oath to Biel himself. Once your pack has been approved, you will begin to receive your first crates of Underworld Delights. All transactions are final. Biel's Bundles is a product of imaginary evil and should in no way be used or replace any ordinary loot box subscription. <laughs> The Dems have just finished up their virtual reality theater, where they are trying to recast the figure of Joe Biden as some kind of savior of America, rather than a neoliberal servant of the corporate oligarchy. 
And this week, the Republicans are following that up with their own take on reality. They've decided to construct a world on the verge of suicide, one in which the only man crazy enough to talk it back from the ledge is a mentally ill proto-dictator named Donald Trump. Interesting premise. I don't know, I think I liked it better with the original lead, Steven Seagal, but, you know. And this is how reality is made. This might also be America's last shared magical tradition, the lie of the noble candidate. And for as much as polite, rational society has tried to shun overt magical traditions, we don't seem to be able to quit many of its practices. Ritual ceremony, recitation of crafted mantras as a vehicle for focusing people's intentions, and the transmutation of a body from the common lead of man to the Empyrean gold of Superman or culture hero. Of course, this alchemy is all done in the alembic of our own minds, with ideas purposely projected there through the malfacia of agencies with names like McKinsey, SKD Knickerbocker, and the Cato Institute. These are just three examples of the faceless party think tanks and PACs attached to one or both of the major political parties. These entities have one mission, transforming minds. It's a practice I like to call noetic intercession or reality warfare. These organizations intercede on our behalf in the construction of our shared understanding of reality. They insist on programming our perception, not just with a week-long political theater, but through the constant flow of policy wonks battering our heads in with talking points crafted from the armories of their psychological warfare departments. Prolific political theorist, linguist, and perennial left-wing agitator Noam Chomsky identified this mimetic witchcraft in his 1988 book, Manufacturing Consent. In that book, Chomsky observed that mainstream media favors the ruling class. It works as a function of our for-profit model of everything. It twists the incentives of anyone who desires to succeed into a mouthpiece of the ruling class. Million-dollar-a-year anchors report on wage inequality, systemic racism, or anti-capitalist protests filtered through a gilded lens, one where the interests of the ruling class are understood as self-evident virtues while opposing views are cast aside as juvenile dead ends. Because why suppress the truth when it's so much more effective to just laugh it off the stage? Chomsky focused his investigation on how mainstream news corporations melted our brains. But the Democratic and Republican parties have taken notes and now employ those same tactics to manipulate the divide between left and right. But the parties are just surrogates of power themselves. Keeping Americans at odds with one another only services a higher placed beneficiary. In 2014, professors Martin Giles and Benjamin Page authored a paper that studied the effects that wealthy elites have on law creation. Their conclusion was revealing. Economic elites and organized groups representing business interests have substantial independent impacts on U.S. government policy, while average Americans and mass-based interest groups have little or no independent influence. In other words, if you're anything less than rich, your influence over government is largely illusory. Both parties are the instruments of an invisible elite that wields ultimate power over the masses. And in order to disguise that control, they're forced to contrive a sense of division among the masses of rentiers and serfs. This reminds me of the old colonial strategy known as divide and rule. By dicing up a population into imaginary rivalries, the invading colonial force found it 
was easier to exert maximum control over an entire country. It would seem our American colonial rulers have succeeded in doing just that with the invention of the culture war. One example of this manipulation was orchestrated in the early 2000s. Carl Rove, a senior advisor and deputy chief of staff of George W. Bush's administration, concocted a scheme to drive conservative voters to the polls by aggravating their moral prejudices. By concentrating public alarm on the prospects of gay marriage, out-of-control immigration, and the constant threat of Muslim terrorists, Rove was able to diffuse and reprogram Republican minds. That year, conservative voters took the bait and completely abandoned the tried-and-true values of the Republican brand, such as antipathy against deficit spending, nation-building, and federal overreach, all of which had become things that had grown and metastasized during the first term of the incumbent Bush administration. And one could argue, but that was then. Uh, what we're witnessing now is that these rivalries appear to be manifesting organically. Are they? Or might this just be a chain reaction that was started by Rovian-esque elites through their linked packs and think tanks? Is this just another face of the divide and rule ethos? Antifa versus Proud Boys, Black Lives Matter versus police, Karens versus civilization, Me Too versus Joe Biden, Trump versus decency? It's noetic intercession via societal battle royale. Every day it seems that dissolution is indeed coming. The establishment has done all they can to stave off popular interests of wage equality and social mobility, but they haven't done anything to solve the growing disparity between the ultra-rich and the poor or middle class. Further, it would appear they have no intention to. It's beginning to look like late-stage capitalism in the US was all just one long con, and we're now in the volatile death throes of a jerry-rigged order established after World War II. In May 1946, English author George Orwell, yes, that George Orwell, wrote an article for the magazine Polemic, which stated, Capitalism is disappearing, but socialism is not replacing it. What is now arising is a new kind of planned, centralized society, which will be neither capitalist nor, in any accepted sense of the word, democratic. The rulers of this new society will be the people who effectively control the means of production. That is, business executives, technicians, bureaucrats, and soldiers lumped together under the name of managers. These people will eliminate the old capitalist class, crush the working class, and so organize society that all power and economic privilege remain in their hands. Internally, each society will be hierarchical, with an aristocracy of talent at the top and a mass of semi-slaves at the bottom. The article titled Second Thoughts on James Burnham was a criticism of, well, James Burnham's key concept of the managerial elite. Burnham was an American philosopher and political theorist who coined the term the managerial elite to describe the new ruling class which had succeeded the old bourgeoisie and aristocratic estates after the Second World War. What exactly am I talking about here? Who are these so-called managers? They are the professional class of corporate executives, investment bankers, elected politicians, civil servants, and nonprofit leaders. This marks the departure from the old hereditary aristocracies of Europe or pre-war America. In its most idealized sense, the managerial elite is the embodiment of the promise of capitalist meritocracy. But 
access to this much vaunted echelon of economic opportunity is not truly available to all Americans. According to Michael Lind, professor at Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs, if we use professional and graduate degrees as a surrogate for membership in the managerial elite, that would mean it comprises no more than 10 or 15% of the population. And if they're the ones calling the shots and getting the most laws in place, then we're not talking about a true democracy now, are we? Further, he observes that the fact that almost all the personnel of elite institutions of all kinds belong to the managerial professional class and have similar educations and shared outlooks produces a common mentality tending toward Orwellian groupthink among corporate executives and other members of the managerial elite. Managerial dominance is reinforced by lateral mobility at the top levels of society. Diplomats become investment bankers, investment makers become ambassadors, generals sit on corporate boards, and corporate executives sit on nonprofit boards. So it's not hard to see how Orwell's mundane post-capitalist dystopia has somehow become a perverse American value. Despite America's avowed love for freedom and equality under the law, we've all been complicit in piloting the United States, whatever that means, toward a shitberg of one percenter totalitarianism by trusting that markets and the wise stewardship of the managerial class would guide us to a more perfect union. Again, Professor Michael Lind notes, Freed from the older constraints, the managerial minorities of Western nations have predictably run amok, using their near monopoly power and influence in all sectors, private, public, and nonprofit, to enact policies that advantage their members to the detriment of their fellow citizens. Derided and disempowered, large elements of the native working classes in Western democracies have turned to charismatic tribunes of anti-system populism in electoral rebellions against the selfishness and arrogance of managerial elites. And that arrogance is once again on full display as the puppet masters try casting Biden and Trump as avatars in a continuum of cosmic forces of light and darkness. They have framed this as the final election. Totalitarianism or corporate oligarchy? You decide. And don't doubt that these puppet masters have figured out how to reap future rewards no matter the outcome. Because this managerial elite, they've mastered the art of managing reality itself. It's now under their purview and wise discretion. They may change or modify the definition of reality as they see fit, as easily as changing the vertical or horizontal hole on an old television set. They can keep things nice and still, or send everything into chaos, whichever best suits their advantage. Yes, I know, this sounds very conspiratorial, and it is. But as I said before, conspiracy is the new language of revolutionary change. In this up-is-down, weird world of illusionary choices, rabbit holes might be the only way to dig underneath the walls of the managed reality of the elites. And we have to dig. Having an awareness that what we see and hear is merely a soap opera designed to confuse and hypnotize us is only the first step to breaking the spell. It should be a priority for all of us to learn and recognize the tools of the mythmakers, 
From the active measures of thought control like political convention coverage or corporate entertainment to more benign messages that promote civic surrender and defeat, like messages of contrarian hopelessness, political apathy, and passive inactivity, all of which are strategies that transform us from citizens into mindless herd animals they call consumers. It's an effective strategy of civic aversion because the managers know we're all sick and tired and living at the edge of economic uncertainty. Of course, many people would prefer to just be left alone rather than tempt fate and fall into a deeper strata of this engineered hell. In this way, the ruling class has succeeded in twisting our incentives so that in the land of the free, it's easier to wear chains. So consider this a heads up. Signs are that the changing of the guard is set to happen any moment now. You up for a jailbreak? That's the show. You can reach us on Facebook at Far Off Topic Show and Far Off Topic on all the other socials. You can reach me via Twitter at Fiasco Jones and Tiwi at Jenny Said Stuff. Jax is hanging out at Captain Jax458. All new episodes are posted to our YouTube account where you can find full show notes. If you'd like to support the show, feel free to comment or rate. Most of all, thank you for listening. So from Tiwi, Jax, and myself, so mote it be. Thank you.